The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. On the Saturday night, September the 11th, 2021, lest we forget. Today, of course, marks 20 years since one of the most infamous single days of most of our lifetimes happened. And while we can go on and on about that here with some personal memories, we sort of done that already. This is our third year in a row taping an episode on September 11th. So once again, if you're really curious to hear our thoughts on that day, you can find these episodes in your podcast feeds. However, one person who wasn't sitting in on either of those episodes at the time was Jeff. So, Jeff, on this 20th anniversary of 9-11, do you have a thought you want to share? Um, I guess just reflecting on, you know, the the day itself, you know, of course, everyone has that where were you um, kind of question. And... I was at a shop class in grade eight, and at uh, my particular um, middle school, which was uh, connected to an elementary school, um, there was no uh, shop facilities, so they would bus us out to a a nearby school that did have uh, those, and shop was first period. So everything that happened, happened you know, during that shop class and, you know, I guess during the, probably the bus ride back, um, because it's middle school, so classes aren't, you know, overly long, Um, maybe an hour because it was a special, um, or an hour and a half because it was a special class type of thing. Um, So when we got back, it was a little bit unusual. People were outside, kind of seemingly a a second recess or something. Um, And we were you know, brought uh, back into the the school eventually. The uh, vice principal, who I think was, was, I forget if she was filling in as a teacher at that point or not, but she she came in and and they started to explain, you know, there was, you know, an attack in in New York, um, talking about the World Trade Center. um, And all of this meant very little to me at the time. Um, When they... When they made that announcement, I had no frame of reference. Um, I knew the Empire State Building. I knew the Statue of Liberty. I, for some reason, you know, grew up reaching age, I guess, 12 or 13, having never either seen or, you know, internalized, uh, you know, the New York skyline, including uh, the World Trade Center buildings. So when when they announced that, I was thinking, you know, I heard World Trade Center, and for some reason, the only image that went into my mind was JFK International Airport. Um, I don't know why that was my thoughts, but it was. So when I eventually got home and, you know, all the footage was, was on TV, um, you know, definitely, you know, traumatic, especially in the in the days, weeks, months, years to come, um, you know, just the, the horrifics of, 
of what was going on. And of course, that one, that first day, um, you know, things weren't censored as much. So a lot of the tragedies, the uh, more gruesome elements were, were, you know, kind of just being aired. Um, and, you know, I was, again, in grade eight. So, you know, kind of a, a sensitive time, you know, the middle end of puberty kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and, you know, this, this anecdote, you know, I, I often say it as, uh, a little bit of a, a, I guess, humorous bent to everything. And, you know, there, there is a little bit of humor there and I'm not sharing it right now to, to make light of anything, but just to, I guess, illustrate, you know, where, I guess, in some ways, how naive I was, how, I was processing the trauma, but I, I remember that that drive home because I went to school closer to my grandparents. So I would be driven to my grandparents, go to school closer to there, and then driven back home to Pickering um, every weekday. And on that drive home back to Pickering, I remember turning to my mom very scared and, and asking her, do you do you think the GameCube is still going to come out? <laughs> I, cause you know, this GameCube was a month away, maybe two months. I think it launched <laughs> in November, October. I, I was, I was very afraid that this attack was world war three. I thought oh. the, I mm-hmm. thought the chain of, you know, distribution and manufacturing was going to be all disrupted. And, you know, this, this thing I was excited for, my sort of second ever console launch after the Dreamcast the, the couple of years prior, um, you know, I was reading Nintendo Power all the time, excited about all these these games that was coming out. Um, and I, I was terrified that this was, if not the end of the world, that it would change everything. And of course it did. And, you know, again, trying hard not to, to make light of the, the loss of life and the other tragedies, the endless war in, in especially Afghanistan. But I was, I, I just remember viscerally, I, I was afraid that the GameCube wasn't going to launch. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that it's, it stuck with me. Um, of course, you know, it, it did launch. Um, I've, I've had, you know, lots of, of thoughts about the day. Um, just a few years ago, I was uh, working at a, at a high school and the principal had written a, a note on the door saying, or on the board saying, this is the last year where, you know, students will be born and even have a chance at remembering 9-11. So like they would be two years old or something. Um, and even then it was like, wow, it's it's been a long time. Yeah, it has. Mm-hmm. First of all, I know your intention, uh, saying you're not trying to make light, but you're also saying that as a kid too. Yeah. It's an innocent question. So I can't like, you're saying this as a kid too. And again, as, as I implied, I, like I was, you know, to some degree sheltered. Um, I, I, you know, in some ways, like I say, I didn't know New York to that level of detail. I knew and still know so much about things like animals. And, you know, at that point I had most of the Pokemon memorized and, <laughs> you know, various parts of history, 
world history. You know, I could talk about Brazil or the tropical rainforests of Australia, but you know that it was a, a blind spot um, until that point. I, I was very, you know, focused on on the fantasy, um, on the natural world, and you know, I still am um, to to some degree. But I think you're you're right. Like I was coming at it, you know, as still a child, like an older child, but a child nonetheless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, James and Kevin, they're here right now, and we've all shared our memories from, you know, of 9-11 in the past couple of years, whenever we've done those tapings. Honestly, like, yeah, it's 20 years. I don't know. Is there anything James or Kevin want to add? Do you two want to add anything? Kind of weird how uh, Jess said they actually acknowledged it in his middle school because I think I mentioned that there was no acknowledgement at my high school. It was kind of like it was a normal day, except certain teachers would uh, acknowledge it or, you know what I mean? Like, there was it was really weird and even my mom said after she thought we might have been sent home early because when jfk got assassinated supposedly they let all the kids out of the school and stuff like that but they didn't do that for uh, 9-11 but we were in a class i remember as i said before it was a high school law class and our teacher like when she heard it they just as i said brought in one of those, uh, the small tube TVs that were on the stands or whatever and strapped on there and it had the rabbit ears and we're watching through the static, the live feed of 9-11 where the towers are still up and then them coming down. It was just, you never forget that. And it's just, you can't even understand or begin to understand how eerie or how weird it was happening. And even the fact of, as Jeff said, I'd never been to New York to that point, didn't really know the skyline. So I wasn't sure, well, where exactly is this happening in New York? And just the amount of people in those buildings, like it's crazy how tall those buildings were and then seeing it on a small screen, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kevin? Well, I've talked about my experiences in the past, but... Uh, just to answer James directly, that's weird how they didn't acknowledge it at your school. I I was in sixth grade, and they acknowledged it at my school. At least I recall they did. Hmm. Interesting. There isn't, as I said, I, I don't know what I'd want to add to this that I hadn't mentioned already. I mean, I, I, I've thrown a couple anecdotes, personal and personal from friends and relatives who live in New York because I have relatives in New York. My parents were married in New York. So I have, still have family there. And I know this day hits, hits them probably harder than most. But... None of us lost a loved one, so it hits, but, you know, just not in that that way. And just further to, you know, Jeff, Jeff's thoughts and little anecdotes and not trying about, you know, not trying to make light. Just remember, at a point, 
the distraction, the happy distractions did come back and it was, oh, I, I mean, I've always mentioned being a fan of David Letterman and Letterman was praised for the way he started. Uh, he came back the day or like his first episode back after nine 11 and his impassioned little speech to start off his episode, a late show. And it was a lot of, he, a lot of critics were praised him at the time for what David Letterman did with that speech. He said, many of them said something to the effect of he reminded America at a point it was okay to laugh again. So yeah, a couple of different memories. I think they even did that with baseball. Don't forget my, because I saw some articles and they were talking about baseball coming back to New York and stuff like that, and that people were questioning that. And then when it happened, they realized it was the right thing to do to bring smiles back to people's face and to realize that we can move forward. And it's similar to what Jeff said, is that that was probably something on different people's minds about what's life going to be like now. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there was so much chaos that day. I think w, WWF the, or WWF, E, I don't know what they were called at the time, but they did a wrestling show, I think like two days or three days after all that. So yeah, we like we, we have to get the ball rolling, I guess, at some point. You just don't I guess we can debate when is the right time. So there's that. But I said, don't want to harp too much on it. We've said plenty already. I know we've said plenty in the past. And obviously, this is beyond anything we really know, beyond the scope of what uh, this show is, and maybe beyond some a lot of the comprehension we can offer. I will make two recommendations just before to end this topic. And we can get on to the uh, regular proceedings of this episode. Just as a quick point of context. James just brought up sports. If you want a good personal reflection on the 20th anniversary. I'll put up a link to an essay done by Stephen Brunt. The famous Canadian sports writer. Which he put up here on Sportsnet in Canada. Uh, it was a nice little piece about the way he looked at things during 9-11 and the fact that he was actually in New York at the time. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was a nice, and I thought it was nice when I saw it this morning, it was put up this morning on the Sportsnet website. And yeah, you can call it off topic for this show since it's about sports and 9-11 and you can call it cheesy if you want, but just remember what we've always said on this show. Our anime fandom sits very much in a similar space as sports fandom would. And as you know, this this show takes inspiration from sports talk radio. So that and Stephen Brunt himself is one of the inspirations for this show, considering his association with Bob McCowan. It's worth the seven-minute watch if you have that time to spare. 
Also, I found out earlier this evening, although I think it's been there for a few days now, Apple TV has put up a version of Come From Away, the popular Broadway musical that told the story of all the planes that were forced and diverted to land in Gander, Newfoundland, and how the town coped with the sudden influx of visitors for a little bit. They... Apple taped, I believe, a early summer showing of the musical on Broadway with an audience. And that came up, I believe, within the last couple days. So it it was well-praised at the time. And just as a quick reflection, and it does have a tie to this show as well, because I don't, uh, James, Kevin, I think they know this story. I don't know if Jeff knows this story. You remember way back during the version one era, we went to see a play called Dog Meets God. Isn't Dog Sees which, God? Huh? That was yeah. Dog Sees God. Do- dog Sees God? Yeah, yeah. it it was a, I guess more or less a fan fiction, but it played as a, a, a yep, dog hypothetical. God. Just double check yeah. now. Okay, but it played a hypothetical about what would happen uh, as happened to Charlie Brown and the rest of the Peanuts gang as they were teenagers. That was a great play. Uh, I watched it on uh, your and Adam's recommendation way back. Oh, you did see it? Yeah, back in like the 50s. I think you guys watched it with like, it was like episode 50 something or 60 or the low 60s of version one is when I heard about that. And then, yeah, I watched it. I went to go watch it because of you guys talking about it here's the connection here's the connection to what i just mentioned concerning come from away the person who put that on was michael rubinoff michael rubinoff is the executive producer of come from away Mm. and one of the co-creators the idea for come from away was what was something he came up with so i would call him a co-creator and certainly an executive producer. So he, so there's the link between that play and uh, one of the more praised uh, Canadian musicals of recent memory. So, yeah, and we, and and we, Adam, James, and I all got a chance to talk with him briefly during during uh, Dog Meets God. Anyway. But there's a thought. There's a couple recommendations. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the listeners there, if they have the means to do so, get a chance to check it out. But once again, it is the 20th anniversary of 9/11, lest we forget. But with that said, let's lighten it up a little bit. Here we go once again on the Saturday night, September the 11th, 2021, presented by Anime North. This is episode 50 of the Anime Roundtable Canada. Good evening from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the Toronto West End. Mike Nicholas with you, joined by James Austin, Kevin Ng, and Jeff Gregg. Mohamed Shamarki sends his regards. 
something came up. We'll uh, talk with them soon enough. But once again, we invite you to get in on the conversation, unlike Mohammed can't this week. Wow. <laughs> AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com. Twitter and Instagram at AnimeRoundtable. Give us a follow on either and you'll hear from us. AnimeRoundtable.com is our website with full show notes and the archive of past episodes, both version 1 and 2. And yes, Virginia, you can dream of Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord. Those do exist as well, and we'll be there sooner or later. So this is the 51st recording of the Pandemic series. This is also the 50th regular episode of version 2. And yeah, I know, I wanted to to do this with all five of us around the table, all hands on deck. And something, as I said, an emergency came up for uh, Mo. He couldn't make it tonight. But I, I didn't want to put it off too much longer. Otherwise, we would have gone a full month without a regular episode. Not like we haven't recorded every week, right? No, oh, yeah, we have, yeah. And I'm sure we'll have a little bit of time to look back on that cute, on this cute little milestone. And I think much of the looking at the topics we have, we will. We're but because we always try to work off the news of the day and look back on things anime, manga, and Asian pop culture wise that always caught our attention. So I said we'd look back. Yeah, let's start looking back a little bit, James. So you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks or at least last week. So you missed out on the Space Heater chat while we, after we had all watched Shang-Chi. Okay, do you have a thought? Just just as a follow-up to last week's Space Heater on anything we talked about last week. Well, I have not watched uh, the new Marvel, Marvel movie. I actually haven't watched too many of the movies in the theaters and stuff like that, so I have no thoughts. And I know there was uh, a spoiler warning, but I went ahead and listened and I was disappointed to find out there was no guide for me as to when I can take a bathroom break during a Marvel movie with how they're done now. Oh, jeez. That's your takeaway? Yes. Unless I'm supposed to go at the very beginning, because I hear that's what Muhammad did, correct? Yeah, during the previews, pretty much. During the previews, right? Oh, yeah. It's kind of funny how long those movies have become now. It's like, I think probably 25 years ago or something. Or so, uh, if someone told you you'd be watching a movie that long, people would probably say no one would stay in the seats that long. And then who knows, maybe in 30 years or 40 years, we're going to have like a four-hour or five-hour movie probably, and someone's well, going to sit through it. This podcast. Well, we had Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh. I know that was in theaters, but that was, I think, a four-hour movie, wasn't it? Was it? I, I knew it was long, but I couldn't remember if it got that long. I know. I, I think it, it might have crossed that line. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Who knows? Well. Let's have a look. Did you have four hours and two minutes. You. <laughs> That's <laughs> a long movie. <laughs> so, James, do you have like, a... Super... So, no other real thoughts concerning Shang-Chi, MCU? Anything else we talked about in that? I know you guys talked about... Uh, what was it? Uh, the live action uh, One Piece movie. Oh, we'll, and we'll that get to that. Be there in all its glory, as uh, Jeff said. Let, we'll go. But we'll... Who knows? Maybe the One Piece characters are really reading up on our boring lives in this universe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
So yeah, we we'll bring up One Piece again. I think a little bit later on. Uh, no thoughts on uh, on Cowboy Bebop since that kind of came into the uh, conversation at the end. Oh yeah, no, uh, the Cowboy Bebop stuff uh, was as expected and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, when I look at these different adaptations and stuff like that, some of them try to bring something different to the table, and even. Like, for example, you brought up the Death Note on Netflix and stuff like that. And it was its own thing. It may not have been good, but at least they made it its own thing. Unlike, say, for example, the Dragon Ball movie, which was a pile of trash. But (laughs) um, the other thing is that when we looked at going between mediums, and then we, I know you guys talked about whitewashing, and then even in regards to it's like the casting for Cowboy Bebop and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you should say this is something they're trying to create. A lot of the times, they're not trying to do it one-to-one. If they were trying to do it one-to-one, it probably would be boring, I think, because you've already probably seen it that way before in a different uh, style and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you want to go in and be entertained. And sometimes you should just clear away uh, the background noise, you know what I mean? Go into that movie or whatever you're going to watch. Sit down, pick up the popcorn and just watch it and try to enjoy it. If you liked it, you liked it. If you didn't, you didn't. Because if you're going to go in already with a negative like opinion, stuff like that, then why go watch it in the first place? You're just wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Netflix doesn't think it's a waste of time. Obviously, John Cho doesn't think it's a waste of time. Obviously, Watanabe, Kano... They don't think it's a waste of time either if they're involved. And I think it'll be its own thing and stuff like that. I think Ed, I think there were mentions of Ed, but I'm not sure if they're going to be the end of the first season or later on. Because remember, they weren't introduced in the anime till a few episodes in and stuff like that. And as we said, uh, given how that character is, it'll be interesting to see how they play that when they do uh, get to him. Yeah, that's right. Ed was the last of the Bebop crew to be introduced. I think it was like, what, episode six or something? Maybe seven? Something like that? Like, Ein Ein came before Faye, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Ein was episode two, so. Yeah. Ein was the first new character they introduced. But I think you can still have the spirit of Bebop, but I think the way they're doing it is with respect. Uh, you have to take into account how it would uh, be affected in live action and stuff like that and certain things like costuming and different things like that that may have been okay back uh, in uh, animated form or even now in animated form may not exactly work in a live action setting and even movement to a degree function over form right Mm -hmm. but they still have uh, the creative uh, force there. They got Wantanabe, as you said. They got Kano and stuff like that. And I think that adds some credibility and the fact that they're all working together to make something that honors that original and stuff like that. It's not going to be the same, but it'll be something that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Okay. So that's a. I guess that's all we can really say about the Space Heater chat. As Almost certainly we're going to talk about Cowboy Bebop when that comes out in November. But uh, yeah, nice little thanks for the perspective. 
Okay. As I said, this is the 50th regular episode. I made this joke. We'll look back on the cute little milestone, but it's always about the headlines with us. Well, a lot of the stuff that caught our attention is basically looking back too. So, for when we were planning out this episode, we planned out this episode in only in the last hour. That's not really good planning on our part, by my own admission. I'll take responsibility for that, of course. So, but we didn't, so we don't really have a main topic. We have a bunch of little ones, but I'm, I really don't want to call these bullets either. Because in many respects, a lot of these topics, a lot of the things we'll talk about kind of flow into each other in some form. So let's uh, just go through them and then we'll see how the flow goes, okay? Or do you want to just call this the bullets? No? no. Why not? Why not? Okay, it's a bullets episode. Why not? Well, these are all medium-sized things, but uh, they'll <laughs> all link together to become something greater than the sum of its parts. Okay. Naturally, the biggest story over the last month has been Crunchyroll. I do want to follow up some Crunchyroll thoughts, whether it be about the merger or the fallout from the merger, and maybe some of the some of the shows, because um, there's also been talk about actual Crunchyroll shows. I know we talked about it uh, on our space space eater uh, two weeks ago a bit. Mm-hmm. And there's a few other thoughts. Uh, James, I know at the time pointed to a variety article. That started uh that started the follow up. Basically, what was the crux of the article? Oops, give me a sec here. I'm just pulling it up. Sony has yet to win anime fans to its post Crunchyroll strategy, but opportunities remain strong. That's the crux of the article. Most of it, like the quick browse I get from the article, basically affirms a lot of my own thoughts that I had. Which, which are, one, it's still, like, it's big, but for as big as anime is to our universe, and it's how much, it, and as much as anime is the center of our universe, that universe isn't all that big. Especially when uh, the parrot data was put in, and you added, and there was all these numbers about the biggest streaming services, especially in the U.S. Hulu's number one, Netflix number two. Disney Plus at 4.6, and they had mentioned, so this was second quarter 2021, but it was interesting. Crunchyroll, they said, had 3.5% in the U.S. at that point, and Funimation had 2.7% at that mm-hmm. point. And so for specialty ones, that's big. But then there was the other question mark they had mentioned that they talked about the 5 million paying subscribers but then the 120 million registered users, but that 120 million registered users could be uh, a junk bond in disguise. Well, you said, because some of them could be inactive accounts, some of them like all that stuff. So it It all could be, it could be duplicates. People just trying to get the free month multiple times. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I guess the real, like, you're right. This is, 
it's a gamble in the sense that it's about trying to convert though that was it what's the number again yeah, the 120, 120 million to paying accounts and yeah, stuff like that. That's the game. Some of them are probably a lost cause. That'll never happen. And then some of them, it's like how many of those are, as you said, double accounts or freebies that are just using it again and again so they don't pay. Mm-hmm. So there's that's 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 one of the other scenarios. So there's so the strategy isn't is less PR. It's just. Well, it, it just comes down to the actual numbers themselves still. So, And then I guess it was the ending talking about uh, the consumers and stuff like that and that there is uh, this demand now that consumers are hungry for anime content, but the industry supply is not keeping up. And as we've talked about uh, before with the animators and all this other stuff, there's only so much they can do. And it's already ridiculous how much anime they're producing in Japan now compared to the early aughts when uh, some of us began began watching. It's just like, I don't know how you could even make any more and that they're talking about outside Japan, stuff like that, that that's what they would lose out to. And I think maybe that would be the better course or to maybe go for more premium content and stuff like that instead of focusing on the more niche shows or the lower end C titles that they talked about in uh, the one anime news network article we talked about about licensing costs yeah the, the... That maybe it would be best not to do those so that your workers you know i mean you can give out that premium content to the rest of the world and stuff like that instead of running your workers into the ground the animators and so on and so forth well, and then, well, it isn't just running them into the ground. It's uh, still expecting them to not know their value, right? Some workers are hoping for an opportunity because now that they, they know that they're worth something and can and can and can maybe start leveraging that to a, a little bit more themselves. They know there's money has been swung around. They want some of that. It's only human. I, I, I do. Yes, uh, you did mention the how much does it cost to license anime article. That was by Chris McDonald, the owner of Anime News Network. It's noteworthy in to me. Mainly because Chris hasn't written anything for for ANN in some time. I think he said it was almost 10 years since he wrote an actual article. He's been just back on the inside, uh, behind the scenes, running the operation. It is, it is a big business now, and he is the man. But he hasn't written he's an... an investment in that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Like, that's his investment now. So he's... So he hasn't written an article in... I think he, in his words, almost a ten, almost a decade. So, just the fact that he wrote something in on that in that context is significant. Well, just the fact he wrote something is is noteworthy. If and I you're think it into adds the, the weight, as you would say too, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Because when, he has talked to these different people in the industry and stuff like that, and you don't have to give quote unquote the exact numbers and stuff like that. I think he gave a clear delineation of how some of it would possibly go and stuff like that. So people have a better understanding and most of it you could probably parse out, but some people I don't think understand the exact degree of how things go to a 
certain degree, and he gave a better, clearer view of it. Well, it's... Like, it's just a reminder it's a business now. I guess it was the other thing. Sometimes, even for others, there's those surprising notes. Like, remember we made mention of where they said for some older titles and stuff like that, and who knows, maybe it could affect someone like Discotech, and that is there's some that the Japanese won't even talk about licensing out. It's just too much work or too little money for them to even care, which is kind of interesting. And sad. Because I think... I think with it now, I think there, there you'd like to think there'd be a, a curiosity about some of the history now, about some of the vintage shows. That all said, I, I guess, I wonder how much many of us care in North America about shows from the 50s and 60s too, conversely, right? And I guess the other thing is about preservation and some of them are in vaults that some of these people have no idea where they are. And we heard about the Echo story, remember, and how Discotech, it took them forever, and it was just luck that they were able to find that film through uh, Robert Woodhead. Right. And, and that now they're able to give the best possible release they can. Uh, and Justin Vegas admits as, as well the best he could do, and it's going to come on December. But and oh. it's also reset the project a few times from what I could gather. Anyway, but it was an interesting article. I, I, I did peruse it, so I know you got more of it than I did, but you did the more the deep read. I'm going to have to reread it again. But it continues on that tradition. It's like even the animation studios and some of them to get that money, all of them, instead of thinking a new way, instead of the production committee model, everyone just wants to be on the production committee. And oh, sure. Because there's a certain degree. on all of them before. And I think it's one we want to talk about that being a pirate princess that guess what? Adult Swim and Crunchyroll on the production committee. They well, basically sure. are the production committee. It's <laughs> two C's in that control and certainty or cost certainty. Right? Okay, on the topic of like we can roll this around a little bit. Being a Pirate Princess, Adult Swim, Adult Swim with an association with the former owners, being part of Warner. And I think this That's... is some of what we thought could happen with those Crunchyroll originals, is bring those parts of your business and bring synergy and stuff like that to bring a product like Fina Pirate Princess together, you know what I mean? And sometimes some things hit, sometimes uh, some things don't, and We've seen that, uh, I think Jeff mentioned, one of the Crunchyroll originals in, from their L.A. Uh, studio that's di- been in development hell forever. So it's surprising when we finally get something that kind of looks like what you would think they would have planned out. Well, being a pirate princess. I mean, I watched the first episode just before we uh, started taping this evening. Overall, good first impression. I'll give it a I'll give the next episode a shot for sure. Yeah, as I said, they it's, did a it's, double episode, so... Sure. It, it was a little... It was a little weird in some sense, because you see... It, is it just me? Do you see different character renderings? Or designs? For various characters? Like, even, what, even the older characters, like in that first episode, when Fina recognizes her two older guards... 
she imagined them as younger uh, as uh, in their as their younger selves mm-hmm. and it looked like somebody else drew them that's why yeah, I no, that. they looked a little wonky or different for their younger selves but i can see what you mean there mm-hmm. so you, i was it grabbed my attention in an interesting way I, i'm not gonna like i personally won't dismiss it at this point but it, it had me wondering a little bit more about the whole okay what becomes of originals because i know they've been heavily criticized what's the uh old uh line crunchy roll originals have been a disaster that's uh article from two months almost three months ago i think now i guess the disaster is more the anime inspired uh animation that they have tried to do and stuff like that and i think going forward with funimation and uh, crunchyroll and all of them being together under sony i think that part of the business they'll double down as they said on uh, anime from japan and the japanese creators their creativity and stuff like that because as they said that's what makes anime unique is the voice the japanese creators give it so it'll be maybe more of a doubling down in that and similar to what they've done with Fina pirate princess you can have that outside collaboration but then it's still going to come from the japanese at the center probably hmm hmm I think, yeah, maybe it's a bit more of a tightening up. Uh, Kevin, do you have a thought? Uh, like I after all know. this, because you're the one who put who uh, pointed out the uh, crun- the Crunchyroll Originals article to me. Oh well, honestly, I don't have much hope that they're going to be going through with much of that for much longer. Hmm. I don't have the confidence in that. I hate to say. Okay. Well, what do you see happening? Just a give up on the label, or do you see a pivot? I see them giving up. Just the label. Because wouldn't be surprised. Like mm-hmm. I would, I would rather them not. Because seeing more unique content is always great. But we'll see. That's all we can think, really do. I think it's the originals, Mike. I mean, I, I, I could foresee it as just. Well, them say, just as a form of them to say they were on the committees, just as uh, James mentioned earlier. And that's where some of them started, right? Like right. Inspector and other ones where like, they, they put the originals into tears in that, and that's kind of what it was. Yeah, I mm-hmm. could see them. I guess maybe I didn't uh, fully explain myself, but I, I feel like they would still do more anime They'd still fund more anime, but stuff like High Guardian Spice, I don't think they'll do much of that for much longer. Okay. And even that, when we talk about that, that's where I think you think of when you're thinking anime or Japanese-inspired originals, and they couldn't even get that off the ground. And when I was thinking of those... I was thinking back to remember Tokyo Pop and uh, the, what was it, the anime manga or whatever it was. Remember the OEL the concept. OEL, yes, OEL yeah, manga. The, oh my God. Some of, the, some of the DJ Milky stuff. Uh, they had their Rising Stars of Manga program that did produce some interesting stuff as a whole. Like you, you saw Felipe Smith get his start there and you saw Slip. Let Vanish Makova get 
her start there. It wasn't a total waste, but uh, clearly some of that stuff didn't catch on as well as you'd hope it would, or at least not as well as Tokyo Pop hoped it would. Hmm. But then well, again, maybe like, probably it would have been better for them if they are doing Japanese inspired stuff like that instead of going full head on into it like with Guardian Spice maybe they should have done smaller maybe something more webtoon like and shorter and stuff like that and then well, it's... highlight those future creators you it, well or they it, could just put out the stuff they've already made yeah but... high high guardian spice was i don't think development hell is is maybe the most accurate i think it was made and then was just sitting on a shelf for like three years or something yeah because like... i haven't heard the whole story so that's interesting hmm. okay that is the I, case. Wow. I i think the comparison to tokyo pop is is also really interesting especially with something like high guardian spice um i've watched the trailer a few times now and i think that the you know you know, comparing it to those, uh, I guess, Western creator-made, um, you know, manga titles, it, it seems kind of accurate. Um, again, the series hasn't come out yet. I, I might give it a chance. But I think the, the initial impression that it gives off is something maybe a little bit too made by committee. Um, like, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of passion. Like, I've, I've seen tweets from the creators, and they have a lot of passion and excitement for it. Um, but, you know, even compared to, you know, some of the other, um, you know, anime-inspired series that have come out over the a while, like, you know, of course, the, the two Avatar series, um, even something like, um, you know, your Voltron, um, there's definitely anime influences in something like She-Ra um, and, you know, loads of, of, of other series on various levels of how much is this, you know, considered anime and then all the way to, um, you know, the, I guess, the, the far end of the spectrum with something like Cannon Busters where it's, you know, a, a Western-born uh, creator-director. Um, but someone working in Japan, and you know, I know I've, I've brought up that series quite a bit on my <laughs> relatively short tenure here, but um, I, I just think it's a fascinating cult cultural piece. Um, the only uh, Crunchyroll original I think I've seen is um, uh, So I'm a Spider, So What, and that's I think even very tangentially a Crunchyroll original. I think it's kind of like how Shaman King is a Netflix original. I think it's just something that, you know, one of the series that they slap their label on, um, despite the distribution maybe being different in Japan. I think that of, I'm wondering if that's the case with Tony Kawa. OAV came out within the last couple of weeks. I'll check that out since I've checked out the series already to this point. Maybe they'll just change it to Crunchyroll Presents instead of Crunchyroll Originals or something along those lines. But I, I agree with Kevin. I, I'm not sure if that labeling is long for this world. Okay. But it's clearly... not like Funimation did any labeling for once where they were on the committee. It's like, here's just uh, some more anime for you guys. And I can think of uh, Fruits Basket as one of them, the uh, new version, of course. No, when you own when you own everything. 
anyway. But it does. Uh, but going back to Fina, Pirate Princess, and harping on another thought that's come up over the last couple weeks, must be noted. Fina, Pirate Princess, has debuted in much of the world already, whether it's in Japanese or English, except in Japan itself. That's set for sometime in October. So there's this thinking about leaks these days. I mean, it isn't just Fina Pirate Princess. Shueisha, I know, has uh, has given a, re- a warning on that. Well, I think it was an, it was someone uh, who worked uh, for Shueisha. It was a, a producer, producer yeah. from uh, and rights agent from Shueisha, and he was doing it on his uh, Twitter and stuff like that in regards to that. But it kind of reminded me. I told you, my for Fina Pirate Princess. You know how uh, Anime News Network and a few other sites, they'll have like these announcements from Japan where they're either announcing Japanese cast members or giving clips to promo it. And they were doing that for, I think, Fina Pirate Princess this week. It was kind of weird because we had already seen that and we knew who the Japanese cast was because we'd already seen it. So it's like they were continuing on for the fall premiere where uh, that's when it will premiere in Japan. Like nothing outside Japan exists, which is kind of weird because maybe there might be some people that already know, hey, this is already out there. It's already out there in the world. How are you going to stop that? Mm-hmm. Well, they, they probably have their VPNs, for all we know. Mm-hmm. I mean, so... Yeah, that, like, seems, that seems different than a leak, though. Like, that just seems, seems like someone has access to a VPN. I'm still trying to kind of keep it the, away from the rest of the public as a whole, though. But just it's more of on a constant theme. But it's sort of like saying, okay, back to the sports analogy, right? Remember how, um, you know how during the Olympics, NBC uh, likes to save their premium content for the prime for prime time, the premium uh, marquee events. Then they'll do their best, and in the past, they've done their best to hold the results as much as possible even though the results were already known hours before. And in response to, to all that stuff, you hear somebody like Sid Sixero here on Sportsnet up here in Canada jokingly tweet out, spoiler alert, USA, your, uh, you, your gymnastics team won gold, signed somebody who already knows. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was known I- to make those type of jokes. But it was kind of funny, like, remember uh, you mentioned that one quick article from uh, Takemitsu uh, Suyoshi, who was uh, the Shueisha producer in that. And it was interesting that this spread from August 20th, he was talking about how leaks weaken the momentum around an official announcement, making it difficult for the company to ascertain a level of hype around the property and uh, if an IP is deemed to not carry much power, that becomes difficult to gather licensors and investors and for it to become harder to create subsequent products and screen adaptations and stuff like that. It's an interesting so argument. Interesting in that way. But as we had mentioned, Mike, for that, that yes, it'll be a lot more work that yes, you'll have to go through and find like it'll broaden 
that wave. It won't be one big wave when they make the announcement. It'll be like these smaller waves because it'll be when it was spoiled, when your official announcement happened, maybe depending on which social medias have uh, put it up at what times and stuff like that. Or maybe they just don't want some of the people they're showing it to to say, oh, this is how much of these people may have seen it, but it may not have been through a legitimate means and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, your property, like you're still going to have that bump. And if you really believe in it, they'll probably give you that investment or may think it's worth continuing on and stuff like that. And you'll have those contingency plans because I know, uh, for example, Activision uh, Blizzard, when, at least for Call of Duty, they probably still do, but they had that one story many moons ago, like years ago, about one of the Call of Duty's games and they had uh, one of the games spoiled, and one of their contingency plans went into place for their marketing, which is kind of crazy that they had all these contingency plans in case something plan got a, leaked. Plan B, right? and it didn't affect them at all. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, Apple likes to do that too, and they're constantly in the news because, well, somebody leaks out information on their latest stuff. As a matter of fact, somebody's already trying to leak out the. Details on the on the iPhone that'll be introduced next year. This year's iPhone is to be introduced on Tuesday. Thinking too far ahead here. And yeah, it's a momentum thing. I, I, I can see it. Well, I, I can see that logic because a lot of other places like to use that logic. Maybe there's some sense to it. Sorry. I'm, I'm sure that there, you know, Anime series have, like, production details uh, leaked from time to time um, and things like that. Uh, maybe voice actor announcements, uh, things along those lines. But in thinking about this, I think it's really interesting that I kind of feel that Japanese animation, whether, a, you know, serialized episode or a movie, might be some of the least leaked forms of like uh, entertainment media, because I can think of, you know, video games that were leaked or revealed early or accidentally showed up on, you know, the various app stores or, or download um, sites. Um, manga can get, you know, accidentally, you know, scanned seemingly right from the, the printing Quote, house unquote. sometimes and, uh, you know, leaked out there. Um, you know, live action movies have been leaked. You know, the famous Sony thing from a few years back oh, and yeah, other methods. The interview? Was it the interview? Yeah, um, I, I think so. But like, I think there were a few others as well. Um, but <clears throat> TV shows, um, Western animation, um, things get uploaded to servers these days. Um, comic books, they get, you know, because of how those are distributed, um, you know, it only takes one you know, ninja diving into a, a diamond warehouse and, you know, in a couple days early know what's going to happen on the, on the, you know, Wednesday scheduled comic. Um, you know, every single other form of entertainment media I can think of, I can, I can come up with significant examples, but when it comes to like an, an anime movie or an anime episode, like I can't, Think and I, I think that's you know interesting to the credit of the Japanese system, but I wonder how much the shift to you know digital distribution is going to stop that track record, or the fact that they're globalizing and it brings to 
before you want an example, well, a few weeks before, and maybe that's why they were talking about, is that the Higurashi uh, Production Committee, Higurashi, uh, when they cry uh, Soetsu Production Committee, they put out uh, a statement and said that there were leaks out there for the arc that just happened. They said that anyone who leaks spoilers about the anime, which includes... Uh, like images or whatever, they will take legal action against them and that they'll deal with the issues of copyright infringement by requesting a freeze on social media accounts. And supposedly that was from uh, China, from Billy Billy possibly. Mm. And they were taking, they said like hundreds of screenshots of episodes. So it was, and just throwing them out there. And so that was interesting. And you rarely hear about that. And that was a few weeks before uh, this uh, Shueisha producer had made some comments there. Doesn't it feel a little bit like trying to put the genie back in the bottle, though? Like you said about social media. You definitely were going at it with the hammer, and that's something you rarely see. Like, it was very weird to see that. But they'll have to deal with it probably more in the future, right? As everything globalizes. Oh, yeah, and I, I think certain companies are better at putting and cramming genies back into bottles than others. Um, I've I've seen you know a company like you know Nintendo who has you know a fairly strong uh, control over their IPs. Uh, someone like sometimes yes, someone like mm-hmm. Disney as well. I've I have seen you know these companies who are very protective, you know do surprising amounts of of getting their genies back into their bottles. Yeah, I'd say I, and I don't I disagree with you if because those were large companies but Shueisha's no small beans either. Oh yeah, no. I I'd, I'd say Shueisha's. Uh, they can probably leverage it just as well. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that Shueisha could if they if they really wanted to. James I was just thinking back to Jeff's point. Like, I guess it also depends on the company because when you bring it up into video games and you brought up Nintendo, they've, even since the NES and even to this day, are still very aggressive. And the most recent ones obviously have to do with the Smash community and stuff like that. And even the Kickstarter that had supposedly they were going to do these beautiful guidebooks illustrated of old NES games. And that got, uh, Killed by the Nintendo uh, ninjas, and, but so the, to speak. But in, but they had the samples. Clearly, the project was done. That's the yep. other part. But it's interesting you have those, and you do have to protect your IP and stuff like that, so it doesn't uh, disintegrate and stuff like that. But they definitely take it to the extreme. Whereas maybe you look at other kinds. You look at Sega, for example, and their stance on fan games, and they're a little more lax, to say the least, in that they're okay with a fan event about Sonic fan games, which is kind of interesting. Or Yakuza. How hell hold something in? Uh, and in kind of I don't think any of their IPs have disintegrated to nothing. <laughs> I think they've been enhanced sometimes, too. Try try, do, try, a, try a doing something in, uh, in Kabukicho. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I said, Dear USA, your basketball team won gold. Hash- <laughs> sign somebody who already knows. <laughs> but yeah i mean we hey welcome to the welcome to the digital age right it's uh oh. once again the internet being the internet 
as we know, Japan uh, in some uh, sectors has been going along kicking and screaming, right? So that's the other that's the other cliche I like to use on this show, right? Over the last oh fifty fifty one recordings of the pandemic series. Okay, let's move on. Or is there anything else to add? Okay, let's move on. Also this week, there was some news concerning Berserk. So Volume 41, a release date has been announced, and it will feature the last chapters that that Kentaro Miura worked on before his passing back in May. On top of that, an art exhibit in Tokyo opened up yesterday on Friday, and that'll run until the 23rd. If you're in the area, go check it out. And then a friend of his, Koji Mori, drew a one-shot manga about his friendship with Miura. And it was clear that the two got along very well. Matter of fact, uh, Miura may sometimes turn to him for some advice on how to handle, uh, handle, pl- handle the plot for Berserk. So there's a bunch of things to talk about here. Which of these stories do we quickly want to tackle? I guess 41. Volume 41. The other thing is, don't forget, the final chapter he worked on came out this week. It'll be uh, be compiled in 41, right? Yes, it will be. And so there probably will be just as many chapters, I guess, in 41 as there was in 40. There wasn't as many in Volume 40. So it'll be on in Japan uh, in December and Berserk, sorry, and Dark Horse will probably get uh, 41 of Berserk out probably in 2022, probably uh, the tail end because they usually wait about 8 to uh, 12 months yeah. to get mm-hmm. it out. But uh, it's interesting. I know some many people have found it through various means to see this latest chapter, but it's been a continuation of... Uh, Minura taking those um, lessons and kind of looks like he was setting it up for the finale, so to speak. It isn't like it was going to end soon, but setting it up for that final arc and stuff like that and taking things we had seen before and bringing those themes back and connecting back characters like Guts, Casca, and uh, Griffith. And the final image that we're left with in this most recent chapter, the final one that he worked on, was just striking, to say the least. Okay, so uh, in terms of the plot, does it, is there a sense that there's still more story to come, or does it feel like it's ending? I guess that's part of the question, because all the reports I've read, and maybe I haven't read enough yet, has it ended, or is it is it ending on some odd cliffhanger-type note? Or is there oh. a sense that... The rest of Mirror's crew will... Yeah, Studio Gaga. Yeah. James, they had left the boat, right? Sorry, what? They got off the boat, didn't they? Yeah, they got to the fucking island. Okay. They got to the fucking island. <laughs> it took us a long time, but we got to the fucking for, island. For several years, all I would hear from fans was, they're still on the goddamn boat. <laughs> And I never had any context of what that meant because I never got that far in Berserk. I am still, I think, in the Golden Age arc, actually. I only read maybe five or six volumes of Berserk. Okay. 
but uh, it was interesting uh, to see, like, they did have from the editorial staff um, a message for the fans and stuff like that, and that was overseas and in Japan for their thanks and that. But I think at this point, we don't know what the status will be, and I don't think even they know, do they want to continue or do they not want to, like, do they just want to leave it as is? And it's probably going to be between them and Studio uh, Gaga and stuff like that. And maybe what they had talked about uh, with uh, Miura in regards to where he thought Berserk would go. But even if they don't continue, after we've seen everything uh, they have already that he has contributed to, it's not the worst place they could have ended up. I guess my guess, I guess and we're you on know another... what? It kind of leaves something to the imagination for the fans and something like that too, of about what could have happened. And that doesn't hurt either. I, I guess I'm just beginning to think to myself, well, looks like another hiatus at the very least. Well, we had some long hiatus. That's sure we did, but they can it tells me that we won't be seeing any more chapters of Berserk. So you think it'll end? I think it will just end with the fans never knowing what will happen between Gus and Griffith. Well, cue the fan fiction. Anything else we want to add concerning Mira? The the friendship with Mori, the art exhibit, anything there that grabbed your attention there? Or is it just a reminder already just how much he's missed within the community? I think it's just a matter of of just you know we have we have these things to remember him by. And yeah, that's one way to put it. That's one way to put it. And we we, we went on. Oh. I was gonna say, and the fans who are salty are gonna continue being salty, and then the other people who are just happy to have what they got will just treasure it. The internet being the internet. Yeah. To me, it's a reflection of his influence. Yeah, no. A reflection of the influence, as you said, for uh, the uh, one with Maury and then uh, the exhibit. And then seeing uh, the final chapter and seeing what they're going to do for that final volume uh, in Japan at the end of the year in December. And then us getting that uh, next year and then probably... Dark Horse continuing on those omnibus, those special uh, versions that have three volumes in each uh, volume, which are incredible uh, to behold and stuff like that. And they'll probably be able to finish those up with uh, 14 volumes because what they'll do is that final volume, they'll have 40 and 41. And then there's a Berserk guidebook that Dark Horse released that they could probably throw in there and Having that all together, I think, is a great accomplishment uh, for uh, Miura and stuff like that. That he'll never be forgotten, and I think nothing can uh, taint that. I think, overall, the whole piece of work, regardless of the fact that it's unfinished, still speaks for itself and stuff like that. And even where it ends, you can let uh, your imagination take it from there. And sometimes that's for the best. You don't have to have something definitively tied up, right? There's a part of me thinking there'll be a follow-up anyway. That all said, if it doesn't, cue the fan fiction. Like, 
truth be told, I I do sympathize with the fans that have just been at this for so long. And I'm sure there are I'm sure there are fans where while they you know, they're happy with what they had and they're, you know, being respectful to not complain, but I'm sure there are some that are just silently frustrated, I would say. Because we like, I, I feel like the fans who, you know, had really put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, I, the ones that are just silently frustrated, I, I do sympathize a little bit. Because in the past, there were all those jokes of Mira, you know, playing Idol Master instead of drawing Berserk. Like, those, those things, this was maybe like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when those jokes were being made. Well, it's a case of sometimes being able to chart your own course. Yeah. Mira, Mira had won, has won the right to do so. And I think some of the results after we saw each chapter kind of spoke for themselves, even though he did, he wasn't the worst sinner in regards to breaks in manga and stuff like that. But still, when you got those chapters over the last 20 years, at least, like you could see how he had grown as an artist and stuff like that. And some of those backgrounds and the details he put into some of the panels was just incredible. For sure. It wasn't like he was just doing some weekly chapter in uh, Shonen Jump. That's for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. And that's not to and that's not to degrade like weekly manga magazines or anything. You know what I mean? It's just he was able to set that own schedule and put out a quality product. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna skip one skip one of these thoughts. Or do you want to talk a little bit about? Well, we we made the promise. Are we going to look into someone's house? Is that what you were going to talk about? No, I'm not going to look at. I, that's not the story I'm looking at cutting right now. It's the next what? one on the list. Do you want to? Do you want to talk a little autoconscious for a second or a, a quick thought? Because we mentioned uh, around the time anime Matsuri happened in June and July. We want to follow up by seeing how some of the other conventions had gone. Otakon's probably the most noteworthy. We it's been noted that. There have been mixed results concerning Matsuri. Some people loved it. Some people slammed it. Seems par for the course for Matsuri. Mm-hmm. But then Otakon also happened. Uh, and I know that people have written the reports. I know our friends at AWO, they've given their impressions. Can we do a quick summary on it? Just their thoughts. Just a quick well, thought. From, from the sounds of it, Otakon was not a super spreader event, unless I misread something. Uh, let's see. That's a thumbs up. Yep. Well, that's probably the only good uh, thumbs up uh, we can give. Okay, so... Because we can talk about the 25,543 unique attendees, and they said that, based on what they said, there was no social distancing for the lines... For the uh, artist alley and the uh, vendor uh, hall, it was kind of like business as usual. And even in the panel rooms, they said they set up the chairs like it was just same as usual, all the chairs in a row and no real uh, distancing, so to speak. 
and that there wasn't really a delineation of people saying your masks uh, should be on politely and stuff like that. And they were more apt to say, please uh, move because of fire zone regulation than in regards to masks. And then they talked about the kindness of there being signs saying maybe one to two people should really just be on this elevator, whereas people (laughs) were going into an elevator as normal. (laughs) One to two or, or add, or just put the one and two together. Right. Yeah. But, um, the other thing is, yes, maybe a lot of the people too, obviously, even though they didn't ask for verification or anything like that, probably were vaccinated and stuff like that. So that helps as well. And the other thing that helps, and I think Jeff had made mention of this when we had, uh, I put the article up, at least for uh, the Otaku uh, USA one that Daryl Surratt did. And he made note of this uh, in regards to what uh, the convention center was held at in uh, Washington, D.C., was a field hospital. So the air filtration system and everything they did for that was medical grade, so they had good flow. Hey, get to use the, uh, get to use the stuff. Why not? Oh, I was just going to say there was an interesting dichotomy between the convention staff not really enforcing the rules but and the... Uh, the convention center staff and security enforcing the rules. Hmm. There, I was remember. I remember hearing at in the AWO podcast that covered Otakon how uh, that convention center staff were telling people like you got to have your mask or we're not letting you in. So it really depended on who on who the attendees encountered on the way inside. So it sounds like there's a bit of consistently inconsistent, as I like to say sometimes. And yeah, I also thought thought that there was that weird disconnect of like, okay, you were, you're supposed to social distance, but then yeah. Why are you telling people to fill up every single available seat in the room when it's not spaced out, yeah, like James, and that was part of it too. Or that if they could have something at the beginning, just reminding people to please have their masks on politely. And I know for probably the staff, it's tough because remember, a lot of them are volunteers compared to the convention center staff themselves, which are paid uh, people to work there. So there is that uh, difference to think about. But yeah, and they're probably paid. Maybe better than minimum wage. Who knows? It's it probably was better. It was in Washington D.C. than in Baltimore because that supposedly yeah. is a lot bigger space than what they originally had in Baltimore. It would have been more problematic if they were in a smaller space. That's for sure. Jeff, no, I, I don't think I have any, um, you know, super detailed thoughts. At least when it comes to you know these bigger American conventions. Um, I am curious what um, Fire Code Violation Expo is going to be like in October, though. Oh, that's, yeah, that. That's well, what I was, I was looking forward to see what uh, Fan Expo has learned from their uh, different events uh, they've done south of the border and stuff like that and how they'll bring that to the Metro uh, Convention Center. And yes. They do have space, but obviously they're going to have to put some caps. Like, 
Otakon, ironically, did not have a cap. You would have thought they would have had a cap. They and the other thing is, couldn't afford to have a cap. That's why. Hmm. But well, the other thing is having uh, mandates, and they'll have a mandate now that they're going to have to make. Well, actually, I'm not sure if it's part of the mandate or not for the vaccine passports that they'd have to verify who uh, is coming in if they've been vaccinated or not. Yeah, it's kind of right on the wire of of when that uh, those sort of laws are going in place or systems i guess for some for laws. some reason i would think with those type of big events you might want to think about that and i know it's something that troubles some people but i think it's the right thing to do it's a public health issue so yeah it must be well let's uh reel back just for a couple seconds yeah fan expo the a special edition here or fan expo canada special edition is set for sometime in october i forgot the exact date some of the guests have already been announced. I think it's only these. It's only going to be the South Building, right? It must be noted that the mass vaccination clinics in Toronto will are still going. Five remain open of the nine, and one of those five is the Metro Toronto Convention Center. I believe it's the North Building still. So that's been opened. I'll probably probably scaled back, much like a uh, my place was around the time I was let go a couple weeks ago. So that's there's there's your little um, dynamic that'll probably be in place. That's one part of the story. The other part, as James has mentioned, Fan Expo has been running their other conventions throughout North America. I think they had one in Portland a couple weeks ago. Is there any other uh, Fan Expo branded convention that's happened in the last couple weeks or would be going on this week that anyone's aware of? I would have to double check. Yeah, we'd have to double check. I'm not too sure. It's kind of funny how it's like it's kind of grown and stuff like that as uh, oh, they were bought out and they've expanded their influence across these different events across North America. And I think some of them used to be uh, Wizard World events, I believe. So that's that was the buy. That was the uh, big news they made a couple weeks ago. So about a month ago, actually. But yeah, that's well, there's a reason why we want to talk the conventions. Because we'll see something here next month. I guess it'll be interesting just to see how many people uh, show up, right? Because you never know how many are going to show up either, right? Because mm -hmm. I guess different people said they expected a certain amount, and then they're like, wow, there was more people than we thought here. I have a feeling that there's not going to be a lot of uh, walk-in tickets available. I think it will be majority of people who already have tickets right now and are just rolling over from you know the last couple years uh and i think that's you know I, I think i've i've made it you know clear in the past that you know the fan expo style is not my preferred convention uh at least type but i do think it's a little bit unfortunate that you know it is going to probably be capped um, because it's the kind of convention where there's not a lot of, of fun outside things to do. Um, it's not one of those, you know, hotel, um, parking lot conventions, really. It's staying inside, waiting in lines and hearing people talk, uh, versus something like Anime North. Um, you know, there's such a, a huge, um, cosplay and outdoor element to it, even if a lot of that outdoor element is, you know, going from point A to point B, um, you know, it is 
you know, the cosplay photo shoots um, are are such a big part of that of that weekend. It's um, the culture. Yeah, right. And San Expo has cosplay, but it's not it's not the same, you know, cultural artifact or cultural event. Um, but we're talking like that's just one part of the general vibe between the two as well. Yeah. Right. right? And yes, the vibe can be set up by the place you're in. The edge of Toronto on the West End, Anime North. Down the heart of downtown, Fan Expo, and the Convention Center, and then all the trappings of, uh, of that part of downtown, for better or worse. They have space, but not quite the same space. That's it's, sure. it's, a t- it's a different type of space, right? And, you know, the doors shut at like either 9 p.m. or 11 p.m. And it's just downtown Toronto. Like you can just walk to other Toronto landmarks, and there are a lot more, um, I guess, casual non-participants that sort of walk by um, at something like Fan Expo. That's something. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of other things there. It's Toronto, after all. Okay. Well, and uh, well, that's uh, part on the conventions. Want to learn more about at least how Otakon went? AWO has a thought. Otaku USA has a thought. You can get to, you can get a thought there, and of I course, think Anime News Network had a thought from Lindsay Leverage, but a lot of them I think were similar. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've said uh, other stuff, and I'll save that for uh, when the uh, record button is turned off. <laughs> well, I'll see. And, you how it hear, and once right. again, if you and and once again, if you want to hear what we say when the record button is turned off, come see the show live. When's okay. that going to be? 2022, I guess, or 2023? And beyond. Can, just, uh, oh, hopefully, okay. at, hopefully at Anime North. Oh yeah, I hopefully. think we'll be in a better position. I know we had talked about that before, but everyone's going to learn lessons, and I think uh, we're in a good position that hopefully we can do a decent convention, a different convention, but a good convention. We'll find out soon enough. Okay. All right, let's uh, go through the last couple topics here that I had on my list. So, Kevin and I, we mentioned we had a Frosty after we went to see uh, Shang-Chi. You know, it was the last weekend of the $1 Frosty here in Canada. I I, I have a beef right now with Wendy's because I think they cut uh, the Wendy's closest to me. Here at six points, cut off the deal one hour before it was supposed to event. I tried to go in at like 11 p.m. Oh. And they said, no, the deal's over. Gee, thanks. Wanted to try out my new reusable spoon. Anyway. <laughs> while we were having that Frosty the day before, uh, Kevin brought up a thought. And, okay, it's it's related to One Piece. First of all... Um, James, we talked about a bit about the uh, possible One Piece live action. Is there something else you want to say concerning that before I bring up the other part of One Piece that I want to mention? No, I think I said all I needed at the beginning. Okay. I think the thought was... What, let me find it again. One Piece... Uh, Oda said that he can kind of see now how One Piece will end. Or at least he revealed that the series is in the final stage, quote-unquote. 
And Kevin and I got to talking a little bit about how One Piece is going right now. Oda seems to be putting little little Easter egg nuggets, re- making reference to earlier episodes. But then another thought ke- uh, came to mind from Kevin, where he just simply said, this could affect Shonen Jump in, in some form. Or I, I, maybe I, I, I misremembered things. Uh, so, Kevin, do you want to like uh, uh, just elaborate for me? What that point was? Because I thought it was an interesting point regardless. Like, this could uh, mark another point and another downturn point for Shonen Jump in many ways when it ends. So perhaps what I was alluding to, Mike, in that conversation was that you have One Piece being the primary reason why readers in Japan are reading Weekly Shonen Jump. It's juggernaut status really needs to be pointed out. Like You have each volume of One Piece selling over 1 million copies in Japan within two weeks. No <laughs> other Shonen Jump manga sells as much as One Piece does. Even at its peak, Naruto sold maybe 700,000 copies in the first week on average. Uh, Hunter Hunter pulled similar number, numbers whenever Togashi feels like putting out 10 <laughs> chapters. You know, he has a life. He doesn't need to He's in no rush to uh, put out new chapters right now. But you look at all the other hits that Shonen Jump puts out, and yes, they are good titles in and of themselves, but they don't they don't tend to have the mainstream pull that One Piece has in Japan. You know, with with one or two exceptions at the moment, but The magazine's circulation numbers have been uh, decreasing over the years, and uh, you can definitely attribute that to uh, readers starting to consume Weekly Shonen Jump online. Digital, right? Yes, there. I'm I'm pretty sure there is a legal way of reading that online in Japan. I imagine there would be. But once One Piece ends, who knows if they'll have a comparable hit of that magnitude by that point. I think it's just you have you you refer to other titles that are in the ballpark, and I guess they'll, you'll just have to hope that their sum is equal to One Piece part. And I, I think, oh, go ahead, Jeff. I think it will have to be a collective effort, though, because mm-hmm. nothing is. I I think One Piece is a um a special series, uh, just in the sense that it's kind of 
the equivalent of um, peak SpongeBob, but in Japan. <laughs> um, like it, it makes you know the company a lot of money, and it's appealing for like it's appealing to everyone from four year olds to people who you know started reading One Piece in in ninety seven or ninety eight. Like it, it has such a wide appeal that no other Shonen Jump series, I think, has maybe ever had, and I'm not sure will have again. Even something like um, Bleach, Naruto, My Hero Academia, Black Clover, you're not having four-year-olds loving those shows. Um, You maybe get fifth graders into it, and that's when you get into the target market, but, you know, they don't have such a wide appeal um, the last time you maybe saw, you know, such a huge wide appeal was something like Dragon Ball, and I think that was a little bit mm-hmm. more, like, artificial, like, luck-based. Um, like, I think Dragon Ball was able to grow um, and become this sort of cultural icon, really. Um, but but One Piece is, I think, it's, it's more accessible to, like, a, you know, Japan has a reputation for, you know, being less stringent on things like, you know, violence and sexual content. But I think that, you know, even Japanese parents might see something like Attack on Titan and be like, well, maybe not for my four-year-old. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think that, that One Piece manages to, to be that. There's sure there's violence, there's blood, but it's, it's kind of common Rider style, right? Like, um, even though it's, it's this action, you know, serious, mature themes, it's still something that parents are comfortable letting their their grade one kids watch. And I don't think Shonen Jump currently has, I mean, I'd love for a five-year-old to be watching Dr. Stone and learning science, but it's probably not going to happen. That's one way to put it. That's a, that's a new perspective. Yeah, now that you've pointed that out, Jeff, I think of like One Piece still airing on prime time Japanese television, like it'll air at like 7, 8 p.m., give or take. And mm. probably the last, like the only shows I can think of that were Shonen Jump that aired that early, like that time of the day would probably be Naruto or Yu Gi Oh! Yeah. Well, that's an interesting way to put it. I have nothing else to really add to that, though. And I agree with Jeff. Uh, I think what we'll see, and it's already happening right now, that you'll just have enough collective smaller hits that will just help that magazine sustain itself. Hmm. The label itself, I think, is fine in the long run. It's just the magazine. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, well, it's one of those, once again, the whole kicking and screaming. It's, we are in another, like, One Piece started in another age, right? In another, in a past age, in a bygone era of consumption. Yeah, it was the tail end of that, air quotes, golden age of Shonen Jump of the 90s when you had Roni Kenshin, you had Yu Yu Hakusho, and you had Slam Dunk among other yeah. titles. And then it's it's seen all the changes and 
had to navigate them, so to speak. So it's, it'll end in another era. I guess the, the model just has to figure itself out through all these changes. And maybe that's just the part of the uh, little, not really worry. It's just a reflection of how things have changed. It's not really necessary. It's as I said, it's not bad or good. It's just different, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. You definitely have more titles appealing to female audiences now, which is good. Well, that's part of the whole, and that's that's part of the crux of the industry panel from Comic Con last month. It's somewhat that we talked about at length. It's somewhat to the detriment of traditional shojo titles, but you know, it's. It's good to see more female readership in titles like this nowadays. I think it's more just good that they're not being turned off by a lot of the series, right? Like, um, you know, I haven't sort of analyzed, you know, which of these series that that girls and women are, are gravitating to in the Shonen Jump books, but I hope that them liking them means that there are maybe, you know, more um, positive portrayal of, of girls and women in a lot of these um, newer series. And, you know, I think the the only Shonen Jump series that I've, I've been following have been uh, My Hero Academia and Dr. Stone. And both of those, I think, do, do relatively well on that front. Um, you know, One Piece is a whole can of eggs that maybe it's, <laughs> That's not brought up right now, um, but you know it. It has been kind of famously a problem um, throughout the years, or at least you know something that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, but that's like, interesting. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say it's interesting that that you bring up that like to the detriment of of shojo series. Um, like, do, do you know which of the Shonen Jump series that, that girls and women are, are liking? Uh, My Hero Academia, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, lots of attractive men in Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> <laughs> I will say more often than not, at least from my perception of it, is that uh, attractive males certainly help bring in that female readership. Uh... High Q when it was running, for sure. Uh, let's see. Yeah, My Hero Academia, if I didn't already say that. Yeah. Maybe I already said that. Uh, hmm. Hmm, what, let me think. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. Well, I think, wow. you know, with both, I haven't seen Jujutsu Kaisen, but I know it's fairly popular as well. Um, and from what I've seen just of, of art from that series, um, like Hero Academia, I think both of them do have balanced casts um, as far as, as male-female. And, you know, looking back in time to something, you know, like your your Dragon Ball, you know, there's no strong women in, in the original um, two runs, at least. It's not until Super that you really start to get that. Or okay. I guess a little bit Android 18, but... Agreed. Yeah regards to Dragon Ball. I would say My Hero Academia definitely has a balanced cast. Well, I would say more of the secondary characters 
Yeah, of course. It's... For, my, for My Hero Academia, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen is definitely more, definitely has more male characters. I would say. Uh, although I will say the female characters are pretty good. Uh, they're not over sexualized. They're they just kick ass. And I think with with Haikyuu, um, like I think that there's a lot of you know, you kind of in, implied <laughs> that a little bit, but, you know, the fan fiction crowd, I suppose. Yes. Um, I think that that series probably appealed to that uh, that demographic a fair bit. Yeah. I would say so. And granted, the I, I do think Haikyuu is very well written. Like, it is a good title. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. But let's not, let's not deny the fact that the, the, that the attractive boys don't play any factor into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I guess for me, it's just, they're just pivoting. I, I could just see the pivot right now. That's all. Okay. Actually, even Gintama had a good amount of uh, female readership, if I'm not mistaken, too, back when that was running. Hmm. I, th- I think being uh, less focused on action and being more humor dominant probably had an effect there kind of in the same way that being a sports series probably had that at least initial wider appeal you know as compared to something that is maybe martial arts based not that you know girls should absolutely pursue martial arts but you know traditionally both definitely in the west but also in in japan as well it's it's maybe seen as something a little bit more masculine indeed well as i said it's just the way things are just going to evolve. I think that we're just worried about change, just in the general sense. You make it sound like uh, Shonen Jump doesn't have that much. doesn't have the greatest stuff to worry about. And how long is it going to be before One Piece really ends? You can say, <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that's, the, that's the kicker in all of this. We, there's, uh, Oda did say he can foresee, foresee it ending, and he has sort of started the final stage. How long is that final stage going to be? I can see it being 15 years. Yep. Oh, yep, uh, it'll be a while. Maybe know, Shonen Jump's future is fine. <laughs> you know uh, another series that had great female characters? Act Age. Oh, <sighs> boy. <laughs> uh, it really did. Well, really I, did. I know that the uh, illustrator has uh, made associations with certain VTubers as well. But that's another story. It's funny, and we're, uh, I, yeah, I do feel like Shonen Jump has come, I don't want to say a long way, but it's come a decent way, because, you know, I would say even 10, 15 years ago, I, I could have, if you asked me if there was any strong female characters that were badass and didn't, were not heavily sexualized and none of those stereotypes, I probably would have only said Anna from Shaman King. Good choice. Yeah. And now there are more. <laughs> okay well let's move on then we're, we're near the end uh, this evening I think uh, I did want to make the joke about well we talked a, a little bit Rumiko Takahashi over the summer because she started her own Twitter account and she kind of made news over the last week because they reveal um, she it, in posts over the summer, she revealed bit by bit how her house looks like. Well, mainly her uh, the major uh, 
parts of her house. Her memorabilia collection. She has a lot of merchandise from her various uh, intellectual property. She showed her um, she showed her desk. She showed a lot more merchandise. All you really need to know is she's uh, a fan too. She's basically one of us. One of us. One of us. One of us. I think that's a that's that's a summary. But it was a it was a kind of a cute little look in again at her daily life. I, I know I know we're harping too much on this, but it is on the topic of somebody since we were talking mirror a few minutes ago, somebody who's been able to chart their own course as well. So it, it was kind of a kind of humorous just to see a little bit of how she um. Uh, what her place looks like, and it looks like a space befitting of some, of one of the richest women in Japan, right, James? Well, she does have a basement, and That's... we found out they don't have many of those in Japan. Yeah, you see that. It's as I said, it makes a nice little kicker just to end off, end off uh, to slowly end off this episode, and we'll put a link to it. It's a Sora News article. You know, the same people who um. Broke the story about Devin Haru and how he went viral for his uh, 7-Eleven tweets when he was there during the Olympics. He's returned home, by the way. And I think he's, he's going to be doing some interviews. Maybe we'll be able to get him sooner or later. Anyway. So let's uh, quickly end off the evening. It's been uh, about a month since we've done a regular episode. What's, in our, what, uh, what's one thing that people are reading or watching in their queues right now? Just once around the table. Anybody? Uh, let's see. Recently, one title. I've been reading Monster Hunter. I don't know if it's Orage or Orage. I don't know how you pronounce that word, but it was the older Monster Hunter spinoff series that Delray put out a long time ago. Wow. So Sounds I'm your read. Halfway through that. Yeah, I've read two or four volumes. It's it's nice. Uh, it's it's just a pleasant, fun read, and it's from Hiro Mashima, who put out Rave Master and Fairy Tale and Eden Zero. Uh, some nice little yeah. work. I actually don't know how it's going to end because with the way it's set up, I feel like maybe it's going to end on a cliffhanger because it's only four volumes long, and I can't see them completing that quest within that time frame. But I guess we'll see. Hmm. Who knows? James, Jeff, anything you guys want to mention that you're that you're watching these days? Well, I uh, what was it a few weeks ago? Uh, I finished off watching, uh, and I ended up binging it. But uh, it was probably better uh, binging it that way. But on Crunchyroll, they had uh, Odd Taxi, oh. and that one I think Crunchyroll put some money into it, and then so did uh, Pony Canyon, but. Probably uh, without that money, I'm not sure how that would have been made in Japan. Like, it's such a unique anime, and as many people said, it's kind of like the sleeper hit of the spring season, because there were many hits. But this one is very subdued. It's about a taxi driver picking up these different uh, passengers and these little intricacies that all add up throughout the series. The other thing is, like, if you look at the uh, images of the series and the being, they're all animals, and you do find out 
at the end why that is the case and stuff like that and it's kind of this film noir Mm. type aesthetic and the people like the person who directed and the person who wrote it had never worked in anime before and you could tell that they had a more uh live action type appeal and stuff like that and Mm. it was uh it was it was a kind of a breath of fresh air but it was definitely something like i felt when you're binging it you can kind of see those connections compared to I probably if I watched it week by week. Okay, well, it's bingeability, I guess, right? The shows, uh, shows seem to be moved towards doing presenting their narrative with the thinking in mind that people will be able to binge binge watch and watch, you know, multiple episodes in a row these days now, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if that was a thought into that since it's obviously an anime original, but I'm guessing some of them do think of that about that from time to time. And we have heard it, I guess, on the anime side, right, about Netflix jail and how some people, I guess, want to watch it week by week if that's how uh, they've been presented it. But you never know. It's like maybe sometimes it does work to dump it all at once. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the merits of that, uh, I think, another day for sure. Jeff, yeah, anything? Have you been had any time to watch or read anything, or been um, otherwise occupied? The as far as uh, Japanese media, most of the series that I was uh, watching either ended or went on hiatus, or just kind of they're still going, like My Hero Academia. Um, but I have uh, recently mostly binged. I have two episodes left of uh, Kid Cosmic on Netflix, uh, so Western animation. Uh, created by uh, the person behind Powerpuff Girls and Wander Over Yonder. Because um, it's season two, I can't describe the premise too much, but it has a, a really great art style, kind of um, an interesting texture uh, to all of the, the animation and the images. Um, great, great humor. It's, it's a, just a, a well-paced uh, show. I'm happy it's back. It's getting a a third season eventually, um, so I'm glad that, like a lot of these um, series uh, recently, uh, you know, they're they're being able to mostly uh, fulfill their natural lifespans. Um, unfortunately, Owl House was cut. Um, Infinity Train, which is fantastic, um, was was very much uh, butchered in that way as well as far as intended runtime, but uh, Kid Cosmic seems like it's fine. Uh, Amphibia uh, seems like it's going to fulfill what the creators intended. Um, so it's it's good to see. I would definitely recommend at least uh, Kid Cosmic, just the main thing I was watching. But it's season two. Uh, shorter, shorter series, I think 13 episodes or something for each season. So you can, you can get through it. And it's uh, be a nice uh, piece of variety, maybe. Hmm. Okay. For me, uh, well, I, I mentioned we I had been watching Be the Beginning, so I did finish the first season of that. I'm pausing a little bit before watching the second season because there's other second seasons and other series that I want to watch. Beastars is on that list as well. <laughs> the My current actual watch, aside from Fina Pirate Princess, I did mention, uh, and I'll try and watch a little bit more of that. Yeah, I, I continued watching Kaguya-sama Love is War. Ah, uh, okay. And I found that hilariously 
realistic. Because that's probably as much as I could say about it. <laughs> although, although, <laughs> although I will say that that opening feels a lot like a James Bond movie at times, or at least a parody of it, the way it presents itself. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, you can tell from the opening right away the how this show is about to go. But as I said, I find it like, I guess uh, maybe the best way I can put this is, James, remember when we talked to uh, Kion Kyoto last mm-hmm. time you were on? And yeah. we talked about the merits of having that animated because it feels like every single episode, really there isn't a, a real plot to it, a real point to the, the episodes. They don't really connect. I, I, I want to take that argument and one, and I'm going to stop short of saying that's sort of how Kaguya-sama is, because it's not, but like it's, you know, three little self-contained episodes, each episode, or self-contained stories within each episode. And, and there is that underlying plot about the tension that exists between the two name, main characters, but you can watch each little story cold, just understand what the premise is. And and as I said, the opening sequence will quickly tell you what that premise is. But it doesn't totally connect. I, I think it's gonna try too soon, but you can but I within these first six episodes I've watched, by and large, you can probably start anywhere within those six episodes and get the get the get much of the gist right away. Uh, but as I said, uh, it seems it feels like uh, at this point they're starting to try something connected. But it's uh, as I said, it's hilariously hilariously realistic in many ways, and really a fun watch. It's one I haven't. It's one of those laugh out loud uh, shows for me. And the last time I could recall having that feeling is was when I was watching Wave Listen to Me last year. So in that sense, I've been really entertained. Not really a masterpiece, but certainly felt like time well spent. Anyway, that, that's uh, basically the uh, cue for me right now, at least where, what I'm willing to mention. <laughs> I need to catch up with Kaguya-sama. Well, you're reading the manga, right? I've read some of the manga. I, I did watch season one as well. Mm-hmm. I'm just woefully behind because it's takes me a lot of effort to do any consumption lately. Well, yeah, I know you're busy with work too. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Thank you. And because yeah, because I know you started a new job within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Kaguya-sama continues uh, like on Funimation. I think the the second season is exclusively on Funimation. There's your there's that dilemma about where to go next in terms of the services too, right? Well, it is in Aniplex. Uh... Anime, so all of them hey, are going Sony, to Sony's, uh, uh, Sony's flexing its muscle, right? Going to Funimation, just like PL5, and then I'll uh, continue well, to uh, come together yeah, further. Still, yeah, well, they have to put in the stuff the, that makes you want to go to them, like uh, Demon Slayer 2. The movie, and then the, and then the, well, we don't know much about where the second season will end up, but the movie is exclusively on Funimation right now. And uh, that's sort of a follow up to. Uh, 
Chris McDonald's article on ANN. All good reads, time well spent. But on the topic of time well spent, that's all we have for tonight. So thanks for listening. One more time, a reminder where you can reach us. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable on Twitter and Instagram, AnimeRoundtable.com for our website. Also, don't forget, if possible, to leave us a review, if you can, wherever you get your podcasts, because reviews will both help my ego, but more importantly, help us in the algorithm and help us find new listeners. Although word of mouth helps too. Yes, please uh, tell your friends, tell your kids, tell your wife, tell your spouse, and yeah, leave us leave us some positive reviews. That would be great, and we would really appreciate it. Yeah, we tell also, your wife and tell your girlfriend, right? Yeah, yeah, we all, we would appreciate constructive criticism as well. Just uh, if we suck, tell us why. We wouldn't mind knowing for sure. Typically, we do episodes once every other week, although we may do something in our off weeks too, which we have been doing over the last month or so. That said, subscribe to us so you can be notified whenever something new drops in the feed. And we hope it was time well spent. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Round.